the global greeting cards market is worth $30 billion. That's including the paper and the digital cards. And each year, there'll be 1.3 billion Christmas cards sold. Uh, only four out of ten Kiwi adults regularly buy cards. So that actually puts us as a, as a nation at sort of the, the bottom of the card-giving list of nations. We're, we're not that crash hot. UK, it's uh, 75% of adults give cards. We're just four out of ten. So either you can lift your game or we really don't care about cards. I don't know. Um, once upon a time, the Davisons, look, we had so many Christmas cards in our household, we would we would string them up. They were part of the decorations of our house come Christmas. You had so many cards, they'd, they'd line the hallways. Uh, those days seem long gone. Uh, we, we give and receive a few cards, but there aren't that many. We're not stringing them up. And, and we're all familiar with the messages in those cards. Not, not the handwritten ones from your, your friends or family, but, but the printed ones, the ones that are there by the manufacturers. The words that are used again and again, year after year, are words like hope, peace, love, joy. Uh, These are kind of key ideas that are somehow connected with Christmas. They are the blessings, if you like, that we are reminded of at Christmas. And so over the four Sundays of our 2022 Christmas, I want to look at each one of those words, hope, peace. Love, joy. You can see that uh, Joe has carefully crafted the word hope to be at the bottom of the Christmas tree. I wonder what word will be there next week. Uh, These are important ideas for us as Christians to think about and understand. Hope, peace, love, joy. Uh, They are words that the Bible uses to help Christians engage and understand with what God has done for us through the gospel. They are Christian virtues that we want to have expressed through our own lives. We want to be the people who have hope, who live with peace, who show love, who who experience joy. Uh, This morning we're going to think about how can we grow in hope. Now, unlike so so many Christian words, hope is an everyday word. Everybody's using the word hope. I think most people would uh, define hope, something along the lines of having an optimistic state of mind because you're expecting a positive outcome with regard to some event or some situation in the future. Many would describe a, a hopeful person as someone who faces difficult circumstances cheerfully, because I because think, look, everything will work out okay in the end. Hope is the anticipation of something good in the future. And that hope spurs you on to action. Uh, children hope to do this or that when they grow up. Teens hope to go places and do things when they have some money. Newlyweds hope for a good income, a good place to live and good children. Established couples hope for the day when the children will be off their hands. And they are free to tour the world or do whatever it is they want to do. But what then? See, there comes a point in which those who are older realize that all those things they wanted to do, they've done all they can. And the rest, well, that's just permanently out of reach. 
as they say, life is too short. And yet life goes on. People are living longer. And with that comes the angst that more years will only bring boredom, frailty, and a meaninglessness to life. Losing hope is the plague of the elderly. See, people need hope in order to live. Think about all those grim war movies, you know, POWs trapped in some never-ending purgatory. All hope is gone. The will to live is broken. The spirit is dead because there is no hope. And of course, we don't need to just think about uh, uh, movies and fictional worlds. So many people in our world today feel a loss of hope. A loss of hope is a, a significant symptom in mental health struggles. And what does our secular society have for those who are elderly? those who are terminally ill, those who feel trapped in crushing circumstances. Our culture has nothing positive, nothing hopeful to offer. All our culture holds out is bringing the monotony, the meaningless, the misery to an end through euthanasia. That's the solution. There's, no, that's not hope. That's a picture of hopelessness. Uh, for 200 years, our Western world has confused hope with optimism. For two centuries, our culture lived off the optimistic delusion that the world was getting better. Science, technology, social order, economic growth, exploration, everything was getting better. So the future was bright, so we had hope. But the 20th century killed off that enlightenment dream. Two world wars, a global pandemic... The Great Depression, 40 years of living under the threat of atomic annihilation, genocide after genocide. The 20th century killed off the myth that the world is going to get better and better. The 20th century killed off the secular idea of hope. People were so hopeless, conversations became, how many children will we have? None, because the world is so bad and dangerous. A couple of weeks ago, a week ago, the Sunday program, interviewing people. Will you have children? No, we won't. Because climate change, it will be so bad. And having children will make it worse. Hopelessness. Now, of course, hopelessness isn't a new experience for our age. Uh, grinding poverty in any and every century is soul-crushing feeling powerless against the whims of the local gods and their storms that destroy your crops. That'll sap hope from people. Watching your children die young. That's been a tragic experience of millions across the centuries. But when the first Christians started making a mark on the world, the people took notice because they had hope. Uh, one of the reasons for the remarkable rise of Christianity in its earliest centuries was that it offered resources for hope in the face of war and disaster and famine and pandemics. One historian described how Christianity kept growing in the bleakest of those times. For Christians, it was a positive program. This life was always meant to be transitory and just part of a larger story. 
What was important to Christians was to orientate one's life towards the larger story, the cosmic story, the story of eternity. They did live in this world, experienced pain and loved others, but the Christians at that time were called to see the story of this life as just one of the stories in which they lived. Life is bigger than the struggles of now. And there were plenty of other religions on offer in the ancient world, even today. But they offer no ultimate hope, then or now, because those religions are vague and uncertain about your future. Have you been good enough? Have you done enough? Have you placated the gods? Have your moral failures doomed you in the future? Who knows? But the Christian hope exceeds all religious wavering and wishful thinking because biblical hope is grounded in profound certainty. The New Testament uses the word hope essentially in two ways. Uh, When it comes to hoping in human beings and hoping in ourselves, our hope is always uncertain. It's always a kind of maybe. It's always wishful thinking. Uh, Jesus said, if you lend money to someone, you do so in the hope that they will pay you back. Paul said if we plough and thresh, we do so in the hope that there will be a harvest. That we choose the best methods, or the wisest practices, in order to secure an outcome we want. But we can't make that outcome happen. We hope things will turn out okay. Many places where the Apostle Paul uses the word hope in the sense of, I kind of hope this happens, wishing it would work out a certain way, but he doesn't know what will actually happen. Again and again, he writes to various churches, I hope to come to you. I hope to send so-and-so to you. But we'll read in other letters, oh, I'm sorry, I had to change my plans. It didn't work out as I thought. Uh, Tim Keller calls it hope-so hope. It's the only kind of hope we can have when we're depending on other people or even on ourselves. But there's a second way that the New Testament uses the word hope, and it's when it's used in connection with God, oh, then hope means confidence, full assurance, certainty. To have hope in God is not a kind of uncertain, anxious wish that he would affirm our plans, but to recognise that he and he alone is trustworthy. What he promised, he'll do. He'll bring it to pass. So Christian hope means that I stop entrusting my life and my happiness to fallible, sinful humans, and I put my hope in God, who's completely reliable. And so uh, Peter can write in his letter, 1 Peter 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Or chapter 3, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, in both those cases, hope's almost synonymous with your salvation. It's not a kind of, well, I hope it kind of turns out as though your salvation were unsure and uncertain. No, the rock-solid reality of Christ's death and resurrection means our hope, our Christian life is sure. Christians have a sure and certain hope for the future because Christians know about the life to come. Because we know about the resurrection of our bodies, a new remade heaven and earth, 
Uh, we're very clear about the future. And we're clear about the future because at the center of Christian hope is the death and resurrection of Jesus. An event in time and space, an act of God in the past that gives grounds for real hope in the future. That's what Christianity offers to a world that's lost hope. And the first step along the road to the cross and the empty tomb is the stable. Uh, the birth of Jesus, in some ways, is, is both the fulfillment of longed-for hope and at the same time a marker appointed to something even greater that is still hoped for. Which brings us to Luke chapter 1. Uh, Luke's opening chapter is an episode, is episode after episode of promise and hope. Uh, this is the way that Luke wants to set the scene for the coming of Christ into our world, promise and hope. Uh, Luke starts with Elizabeth and Zechariah, who are an elderly couple, but childless. Zechariah has an encounter with an angel. He's promised that he and his wife will have a child who will grow up and be a great prophet preparing for the coming of the Lord. They, no doubt, hoped for a child all their married life. But with the promise of God from the angel, their hoped-for wish is now in the category of sure and certain hope. Because God is at work, God has spoken. And of course, being pregnant is itself a hopeful event. Something concrete and tangible pointing to the future hope of a baby. And beyond that, the future hope that their son would be the kind of prophet that God had said. For Elizabeth and Zechariah, there's a, a whole lot of God-promised and hopeful looking forward. And then there's Mary, another angelic promise that she'll have a special baby. And there is the hope sparked by the angel's words, the hope of the pregnancy physically experienced and the hope stirred by Mary meeting her cousin Elizabeth, learning that this old woman is miraculously pregnant. See, God is at work. It's not just optimism on the part of those involved. This, this is trust and confidence that God is at work. And Mary's trust overflows into prayer and praise. Now, she rejoices, not just that something good is going to happen to her, but that God is bringing to fulfillment the hopes of generations of Israelites. The proud will be humbled, the weak will be lifted up, and the promises made to Abraham will be fulfilled. Uh, when Elizabeth has her promised child, one hope is fulfilled, while there's still more hope through this child. Which begins to unfold with the comical scene of Zechariah confirming that his son is to be called John. And so out of all the episodes of Luke 1, I just want us to look at Zechariah's prophecy. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesied about what was to come. We want to look at that as we think about Christmas and about hope. So verse 68 Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, the event is the birth of Zechariah's son, John, who's just eight days old. But Zechariah is looking beyond his son to the one that John will introduce and prepare the way for. Uh, Jesus hasn't even been born yet, but because God has spoken... 
because God has acted in sending these two babies, Zechariah is filled with a sure hope for the future. Whatever Jesus might do, it's still decades away, but hear the confidence with which Zechariah sees the future. And that foundation for the future are the promises that God has made in the past, promises that a son of David would eventually come to rescue Israel from their oppressors. Verse 70, as the Lord said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. See, Zechariah goes back even further than David. He goes all the way back to the promises made to Abraham. In both cases, they they are promises that the enemies of God's people will be defeated and the people of God will serve him in a good and godly way. What Abraham hoped for, what David hoped for, what the holy prophets of long ago hoped for, Zechariah rejoices that what was hoped for is starting to happen. The arrival of these two babies marks the beginning of the fulfillment of what was hoped for. And that beginning fuels Zechariah's hope that the Lord will bring about all that he's promised. Hope is strengthened and fortified through the small elements of fulfilment along the way. If God promised something in the past and and some of that's actually happened, then what remains of God's promises should be trusted. They are the basis for a real and sure hope. See, Zechariah isn't sort of being naively optimistic. I know Romans are in charge and, look, we're in an occupied country and it really stinks, but... Who knows, somehow, for some reason, I just think it it just might all turn out right in the end. That's not a picture of biblical hope. Interestingly, Zechariah, speaking as a prophet, is declaring God's promises about his son. John, verse 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation, through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. I've just been to Christchurch for a few days to visit my new grandson. He's only a few weeks old. I wouldn't have a clue about his future. I don't know what sort of man he will become. I don't know what kind of job he'll do. I don't know where he will live. I mean, all those fathers who go, oh, look, I'm holding up a new all black. It's all wishful, hopeful, dreaming kind of stuff. Here is Zechariah speaking about his son with absolute conviction and confidence. And the only way that he can do that is because God has specifically spoken to him about John. Now, if you received detailed and specific message from God, well, surely then it isn't a matter of wishing, well, I hope he turns out all right. I hope he does something useful with his life. If God has spoken in such a detailed and specific way, then that's what's going to happen. This is 
a matter of sure and certain hope. This is who he's going to be. This is exactly what God has said would happen. See, Christians are clear about the future because we're certain about the past. Jesus' birth, Jesus' life, Jesus' teaching, Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' resurrection from the dead, Jesus' ascension to heaven, to the throne of heaven, because we know how God has fulfilled his promises in the past, we can have hope for his promises about the future. Because God has said it, our hope is real and sure and certain. And Christmas and the birth of Christ, it's one of those middle stages promised and hoped for by Old Testament saints, fulfilled for New Testament believers, and a reliable reminder of more promises yet to come to fruition. Promises that give us today hope for the future. Now it's worth taking a few moments to just think more broadly about how we grow and nurture and build Christian hope. See, our hope as Christians for the future can be weak or it can be strong. That is, our our confidence in God, our trust in him for the future can be weak or strong. I've been trying to think about this during the week, particularly this morning, that I'll try this out on you. You have a conversation over morning tea and see what you think. I think think hope and faith are, are, are good cousins for one another. And trying to work out what the difference is, I think uh, hope is more than just faith for the future. I wonder if um, faith is about who we are trusting, who we are depending on, and hope is about what we will see, what is to come, what will be provided. Uh, Sometimes the hope is the who. Our hope is the return of the Lord Jesus, but it's what he will do when he returns So in some senses, our faith is trusting the God who has promised and hope is, what is it that he's promised? And I'm excited about the thing that is to come. That's what I'm desiring. And so in a sense, the the clearer we are about what it is we hope for, the stronger our hope. But all of that's connected with our trust in the one who will deliver it and bring it to pass. You think about it, about the relationship between faith and hope. Uh, here are three ways, therefore, then to nurture Christian hope. And if it's related to faith, then what builds faith also strengthens hope. Our first one, Romans 15, verse 4, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The Apostle Paul tells the Romans that the Bible builds our hope. As we see the the promises of Scripture being made and being believed and being hoped in and being fulfilled. The Bible gives us a picture of what is to come, what is hoped for. And the, the better we understand that picture, the greater our hope. And we see in the Bible other believers modelling for us what it means to hope and trust in God. Later on in Luke's account, you read of Anna and Simeon waiting, 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 hoping 
And then the answer comes. See, we find in the Bible promises for us, sure, dependable promises of God, promises that we can rely on and hope in. And so the Bible is fuel for our hope. Uh, Secondly, because our Christian hope is about the future, then we should be particularly uh, concerned to learn about what God has promised for the future. So, for example, here's Romans 8. Uh, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Here's a picture of what is going to happen. A new world, a restored world. No, more than that, a restored and a renewed us. Or 2 Peter 3, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. The clearer our picture about what will happen in the future, that changes how we view the world. That changes how we live today. A clear hope helps us today. Paul tells the Thessalonian believers that the hopes they have about the return of the Lord Jesus should be expressed in words to encourage and build one another up. The Bible feeds our hope. Clarity about the future feeds our hope. And thirdly, the confident hope we have for the future rests on solid convictions about the past. And so going back to the central pillars of Jesus' death and resurrection, they will give steel to our Christian hope. So here's 1 Thessalonians 4. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The apostle's line of reasoning is certainty about Jesus' death and resurrection is foundational for Christians having confidence about their own death and resurrection. If you are uncertain, not full of hope about the future for your own life and resurrection, go back and look at Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Confidence there will give you confidence about your own. The clearer and more persuaded we are about the cross and the empty tomb, the stronger will be our convictions and our hopes about believers being raised from the dead. Uh, The best that our world can do is whistle a happy tune and think happy thoughts about the future. It can't offer a sure and certain hope. Uh, Worst still, optimism about life 
doesn't prepare people to face difficulties and suffering. The true power of Christian hope is that it equips believers for hard times and for struggles because Christian hope enables believers to endure, knowing that there is more to life than here and now. Knowing that one day the judge of the earth will right every wrong and punish the guilty One day we will receive resurrection bodies. One day we will be reunited with those we love. One day we will enter into the paradise that the Lord has prepared for his people. Those are real hopes that shape how we live now. Zechariah says, expressing his hope in God, the Lord will rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Let's pray. Father, we put our hope in the Lord Jesus. We look back with trust on what he's accomplished through the cross and through his resurrection. And we put our hope in your promises of a new day, a new era, a new life. Strengthen us with that vision of the future. Build in us hope that endures hardship and difficulty. Build in us hope that perseveres and struggles and fights against sin. Build in us hope that restores and renews relationships build in us hope that longs for the return of the Lord Jesus and all that glory that comes with him on that day. Strengthen our hope this Christmas season for Jesus' sake. Amen.